Let's open our Bibles to the book of Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to do tonight what I have hoped a a lot of times that a preacher would do, is open the Bible to a passage of Scripture and take a certain portion of it and expound it and and just give us the meat of that uh, passage of Scripture. Haven't you uh, uh, sometimes wanted to go into a church where you could just hear a preacher open up, up the Bible to a passage of Scripture and say, now this is what this is all about, and expound it to you. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take verses 1 through 14, and we're going to talk about in this passage of Scripture as we expound these verses, we're going to talk about the privileges of the saints. Privileges of the saints. And we're going to give you five things about the privileges of the saints, and we'll point them out as we come to them. Uh, First of all, we'll deal with an introduction on this passage of Scripture. And you pray for me as I try to bring it to you. First of all, I want you to know it says, notice it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Now, we're talking about an apostle here. Paul says, I'm an apostle. Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not by my own will, not by the will of some others, but by the will of God. I was called by God. An apostle in the scripture appears to apply primarily to those that were directly commissioned as apostles by the risen Lord. And then, of course, there are those exceptions like the apostle Paul who became an apostle as one that was born out of due time, he tells us in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. He says, I am an apostle. I was called to be an apostle. I'm least of the apostles, but I was one as born out of due time. And I won't turn and read that passage of Scripture for you, but it's there. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, he speaks of himself as an apostle. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have not I seen Jesus Christ our Lord, which was one of the qualifications for being an apostle, And as I said before, he saw him as one born out of due time. But he did see the Lord. Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2. So we're talking about him being called an apostle. And thus Paul exercised the function of an apostle by the will of God. And in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll look, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks of himself as having the signs. Let me read it for you. 12, 12. He says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So what he's saying is that I had the signs of an apostle. The, apostol, uh, the apostolic office was associated with the signs of apostleship. And Paul possessed those. Now, in this day and hour, we don't say that a preacher has to have the signs that the apostles had. The apostles are gone. And I don't have those signs of an apostle because I am not an apostle. But I am a preacher, and I am a teacher of the Word. And I have to have the signs or the gifts that go along with that calling. I don't have to have the gifts of miraculous works like the apostles had. They didn't use those gifts at all times, but they had that to testify that they were true apostles of God, and it, sometimes they, it was necessary, and God confirmed the word with the signs following in the days of the apostles. And I'm not going to get into the controversy about the ifs and ands of those situations. I'm just going to declare what I find here. All right, let's look at this. So 
we find that he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. He didn't leave out his brother who was associate with him in the work that he was doing, and also in this letter to the Colossians. Now I want you to notice, in verse 2, we're going to, we're going to, from verse 2 on down through 14, we're going to give you a five-fold division of what we find as privileges of the saints. That verse was introduction we just dealt with. A five-fold division. In verse 2, we find our position. Our position. Look at verse 2. He says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you. To the saints and faithful brethren. Our uh, position is twofold. Saints is Godward. Faithful brethren is, is manward. In other words, our relationship to God and to man. We are to God as saints. Now, we know there's some that, that do not believe that you're a saint unless you've met some certain pious uh, uh, holiness and uh, uh, great works and so on until after you die and you're taken to heaven and then you're there in the presence of the Lord and then you're, they look back upon your qualifications and then they say, well, we're going to uh, make this one a saint. That's not what the Bible calls saints. Christians were first called believers in the day, I mean, uh, disciples in the days of Jesus Christ. Later on, they were called believers and then saints. Saints and believers. And the Bible description, you know, Christians is a kind of a name that's given in, uh, in a sense to indicate ridicule. In other words, they were called Christians first at Antioch. Not because they were speaking well of them, because they said, oh, these are those Christians, you know, in a derogatory way. So we won't even use that term. A better term is, is saints. It'd be better today if people were called saints instead of Christians, in a way. Because in those days it was given uh, to, to put people down. And so we've taken the name as Christians that the world has given us. Of course, we know it's to be Christ-like and to be a, a Christian man or woman, which we'll, we'll accept because we want to be Christ-like. We would be better called, as God calls us, saints. We're saints of God. And let me give you some references here. If you look in, uh, first of all, look in uh, uh, Acts 9, verse 13. Acts chapter 9 and verse 13. Notice here. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, he's speaking of what Paul has done, how much evil Paul had done. I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done. Now look, to thy faith at Jerusalem. They were not yet dead. They were not glorified. They were not in heaven, were they? But they were God's saints at Jerusalem, is what Ananias said they were. Look in 1 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, and I'll read a verse for you. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sultanese our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called, notice that word to be, it's in italics, called saints, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. See that? They are called saints. The word to be is in the in the italics to show us that they, those two words were not in the original text. And any time you have a King James Version of the Bible and it has words in italics, it means that they were not there. They were added and put in by the translators. Italicized words. And in this sense, uh, sometimes it may lead people to think, well, they're called in order to become saints. 
No, they're called saints, period. They're already saints, and they're called saints. And he says, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord, they're sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Uh, I want you to notice that in this passage of Scripture, Paul was writing to a church, and he calls them saints, a church and people that he was about to rebuke for their lack of morality, their uh, paganism, their lack of Christian morals, uh, a lot of things that were they were in error about, and yet he called them saints because they were saints by faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't their a special uh, acceptance as being holier than someone else that made them saints. That's what I'm trying to get at. You see, just because they were in Christ, they were saints. And so one person as a believer is no more of a privileged saint than someone else. They're saints because they were sanctified and set apart to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and his salvation that he's provided. So every child of God, born again, believing on Christ as their own Lord and Savior, is a saint, a child of God, a believer. And these are terms that you can use interchangeably. All right? Now then, back in our text, we find that they're not only called our position, it's to God, we're saints, and we're also faithful brethren. This is our union and our relationship to man. Faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. It shows a locality. It shows an earthly. Saints are in Christ, and brethren are at Colossae. See that? It shows that it's our human relationship. It's our position to mankind. This is a privilege also we enjoy, a privilege to be called a Christian brother. Let me read in Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, and by the way, there's only three verses in that psalm. 133rd Psalm. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't that a wonderful verse of Scripture? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, it would be a wonderful testimony if God's people could learn in local churches to dwell together in unity, we'd have a greater influence and testimony in the community than in any other way we could show ourselves to be Christians. If we had just learned to quit quibbling and squabbling and, and condemning and judging and, and, and all these things that we do, and to dwell together in unity, we'd have a greater impact in the community. If they say, uh, you go down to this Ridosa Baptist Church? Yes, I love to go there. Why? Everyone has a good uh, feeling toward one another. We care for one another. Uh, we care about each other's problems. We pray for one another. Uh, we love one another. All of this would show a greater testimony in the community than anything else we could do. But if you go off and you say, well, down there this goes on. Down there that goes on. And you start criticizing and cutting people down. We don't want to do that. Let's try to be harmonious in our effort. One went out this morning, said we have such a sweet spirit in the church. And that's what we need is a sweet spirit, a loving spirit and a caring spirit. And you know, we have people in our church that are hurting in many ways, some physically, some uh, uh, in with problems and trials that maybe we don't understand, some with sicknesses and some with bereavements, and we can be 
to a comfort to each other. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So we see our position, don't we? What is our position? To God we're saints. To each other we should be faithful brethren. The Bible teaches that brethren are to be faithful. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe we'll find it there. And verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see? If we're stewards of God, we're, it's required, Paul says. It's not something that we just say, well, a fella ought to be. He says it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. So we love this verse of Scripture. Now back in Colossians, hold your place where we're teaching always. We've seen our position. Now I want you to see our portion in the last part of verse 2. Our portion in Christ. What is that? It says, grace be unto you, that's the last half of the verse, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things are the Christian's portion, grace and peace. And in those two things sum up almost anything that we need. Paul says to almost every letter, in almost every letter he writes, grace and peace be unto you. Why is he saying that? Because in the grace of God, you can sum up all that we need. In the peace that he's given because of grace, you can sum it up. It's there. Grace and peace. Sometimes he says grace, mercy, and peace. But it's all joined so uh, closely together. We find that the Bible teaches that we are not under the law, but under grace. The Bible says that you're saved by grace, for by grace are you saved. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says... By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in grace and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're taught by grace. In Titus chapter 2 it says, The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lust. We grow in grace. According to Second uh, Peter 3.18 he says, But grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In this same book of Colossians, hold your place there. Chapter 4, if you want to look at it, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace. How we talk should be with grace. It says, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer every man. And then we find that also we're to minister in grace. That's First Peter chapter 4. Let me give it to you. I believe it's verse 10. It says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see that? So what is what is our portion? It's grace. And in this, we speak of the grace of God. You know what we're talking about? Unmerited favor to unworthy, undeserving sinners. But more than that, we're talking about all the goodness and uh, all the favor of a good and holy God given down to you and I who are unworthy men. All of his love manifested to us. All of his mercy given to us. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. If he had, we would all deserve judgment, wouldn't we? And God has not dealt with us that way. But through Christ, he's found a way to extend his grace and mercy toward you and I who are repentant, believing sinners. All right, quickly now, you have the passage, Colossians 1. He says grace. Then he says peace from God our Father. Glance down with your eyes to verse 20. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross. We have peace because Christ has made it for us. Colossians 1.20.
from verse 2, glance down to verse 20. See that? Peace has been made for us. And that peace that's made for us becomes ours when we believe on Christ. He's made it, and we receive it. Now, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we've received it by faith. We have peace with God. We, don't, we didn't make peace with God, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. So we have the peace that Christ has made, and because he's made it, we believe, and therefore God says we have peace. Christ has made it with God for us. That's the basis of our peace. That's our portion. And that's only a part of it. And time would fail if I expounded the length I've done these two verses. But let's go on. I want us to notice verses uh, 3 on down through, I would say, verse 8, and give you some things about our practice. We practice like the Apostle Paul. First of all, our practice is giving thanks. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Isn't thanksgiving one thing that Christians should practice doing? We should practice every day thanking God. I thank God every morning for life and health, for being able to get out of bed and go about my work, to do what I have to do. We ought to be thankful all through the day. We ought to be thankful when we uh, go to uh, rest our heads on the pillow at night for the day's activities and for the Lord keeping us and helping us through the day. In fact, we ought to always be thankful. Paul says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ or in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how it's acceptable. So we find giving thanks. What is another thing of our practice? I want you to notice as we continue on down. Since we heard of your, of your faith, our practice is exercising faith. It's not only giving thanks, but exercising faith. A faith that can be heard of. And then it says, now just follow down the scripture. It'll unfold itself to you. If you, It just opens up like a rose or like a flower if you'll let it. Now you watch the word. You watch it open up. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now look, the next thing, love. And of the love which you have to all the saints. See that love coming in again? And then it says, for the hope. So what do you have? Hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So you have, first of all, giving of thanks in verse 3. You have a faith exercising of faith in verse 4. You have a demonstration of love in verse 4. And in verse 5, <clears throat> revealing of hope. And in verse 6, and, and bringeth forth fruit, which is uh, producing fruit in verse 6. So what do you have? Five things of our practice. Giving thanks, exercising faith, demonstrating love, revealing hope, and producing fruit. Now let's look at this one. We've already given you verse 5. I mean, verse 4, but look at verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Well, if you, you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Look at that, would you? The hope that is laid up in heaven. Did you know with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope is not just this life, but the life to come. It's eternal life. It's a, the hope of resurrection. It's the hope of glorification. And if this were not included in the gospel, you wouldn't have a gospel. Have you ever thought of that? If there were no resurrection of the dead in Christ, if there were no hereafter and eternal life for the believer after this life is said and done, you just as well quit preaching. And we just as well quit believing. Because that's what it's all about. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. Look at the book of in Second Timothy chapter 1. I want you to read verse 9 and 10. Now look at this. Follow it. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. 
Paul is speaking of salvation, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our work, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice these last statements. Who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life has to do with the soul, refers to the soul, immortality to the body. He's brought eternal life, a spiritual soul life, and eternal eternal life or immortality to the body. Through what? The gospel. The gospel has this. Let me give you Titus chapter, if you will, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, in hope of eternal life, here's that hope again, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God promised that through His Son, Jesus Christ, He would provide salvation for the soul and redemption for the body, and that someday all believers, both dead in Christ and living, would be glorified together with Him in eternal glory. We have this to hold out to us, the suffering world. You know, I... If we didn't have this, we would be, Paul says, if we in this life only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Think of that. So we must have hope beyond this life. Now, quickly, let me give you something else. Back to our text. So we're talking about a hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Let me stop there a moment and just camp a minute and give you something. You know, there are some folks today that are going around preaching that there is no such thing as people going to heaven. Did you know there's one famous worldwide church that preaches that people do not die and go to heaven? And if you know who I'm talking about. And they, they actually believe that no one has ever gone to heaven. The Bible says Jesus is taken up into heaven, right? The Bible says he's seated on the right hand of God in heaven. And the Bible says that Paul says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Well, where is Christ? If Christ is in heaven and he wanted to depart, he's going to depart and be with Christ in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is a heaven, and people that die go to be with the Lord. Their spirit does. Their body goes back to the dust. They're put in the ground, and it's a sad situation. We miss those dear souls, but they're not there anymore. It's just like moving out of a house. You know, if we were to vacate this building because of a fire, there'd be no one in here. If you go and move out of your home and you leave it there and board it up, there's no one there. No one living there. And that's what happens to these bodies. When we die, our, our person, we move out of this house. That's all it is, is a house. We look at the outside of the house, don't we? We're looking at a frame. We're looking at windows and doors and, and the frame of the house when we look at these earthly bodies. And that's all we're looking at. But the real person, you, you're inside this house. And one day, you're going to move out of it. Now, you'll be remembered by what you look like, of course. But you, you'll you be remembered more by what you really are living there than what you look like even in the bodily frame. The person you were is how you really be remembered. Oh, vaguely, they'll remember your features and the house you lived in. But most of all, they'll remember you, what kind of person you were. Because that house has changed through the years. See, we get older and uglier all the time. <laughs> and I don't want to remind everyone of that. <laughs> anyway, so what we're saying is that, uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll have to get back to this. 
I could get to chasing some rabbits right there, and I won't do it. I'm tempted, but not. Okay, so we have a hope in heaven. Now, verse 6 says, Which is coming to you as it is in all the world. Verse 6 now, look at it. And bringeth forth fruit. Look at that. This gospel bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it. From the very beginning of the inception of the gospel, of the, for these people, they begin to bring forth fruit. They witnessed to others. They were testimony to other people. And it, it did some good everywhere, didn't it? And that's what we're concerned about. Now look at that. We need, we need to bring forth that fruit, and we will if we manifest the same characteristics that these people did. If we have the same position with God and with our brethren, if we have the same portion of grace and peace, if we uh, serve in the same practices, giving thanks, and if we exercise faith and demonstrate love and we reveal the hope that we have in the gospel, then we'll be producing fruit. And that fruit will be lasting fruit. When it's sown, the seed is sown, it will, it will uh, germinate and it will bring forth fruit that will last. Now let's go on and uh, get something else. Verse uh, 7, the, uh, 6, the last part. Since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God, as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, uh, who also declared unto, unto us your love in the Spirit, in other words, uh, Papyrus confirming all that Paul knew them to be. He says he's confirmed your love in the Spirit. He's told us that you do love God, that you have spiritual insight, that you uh, are the ones that we can depend upon. And then now, verses 9 through 11 shows us another thing, our prayer. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray a prayer for you. Now, what does this prayer consist of? It has about five or six real wonderful things here. It says, first of all, our prayer for you and to desire, prayer, desire, that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be full of the knowledge of the will of God. Now look, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. My, what a prayer. What the depth, the depth of this prayer for people. My prayer, you know, if, if I got up tonight and I said, my prayer for you is that you could be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all a, a spiritual understanding, with all a wisdom and spiritual understanding. That would be the one of the best things I could pray for you, that you just be full of the knowledge of the will of God, and full of the wisdom of God, and full of spiritual understanding. You know, very few people have today what we call is contained in these three things. The knowledge of the will of God. The wisdom of God. The spiritual understanding. A lot of people have natural understanding, but we're talking about spiritual understanding. You know, I talk to some folks, and we'll get to talking about spiritual things, and I have one say, well, Brother Joyce, you don't have to explain that to me. They understand it. You know, you start explaining why you did this or that or something else, you know. I say, I understand they know where you're coming from. They have some spiritual understanding. They have some spiritual discernment. And that's what we need today in the churches. There's a little understanding in spiritual things. And then let's go on. It says here, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. A worthy walk. To please God in our walk. The next thing, look. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Two things there. Fruitful in every good work. And not to think you have all the knowledge. Now look back in verse 9. He says, be filled with the knowledge of his will. And now down here in verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You 
see the connection we're getting out there? What we're saying is that the more we know, being filled with the knowledge of his will, the more we realize how little we know and how we can increase in the knowledge of God. I spent several years learning that I didn't know anything, and now I'm ready to learn something, you know. Sometimes we spend a whole lifetime coming to the knowledge that we do not know anything, and then we're ready to begin to learn. And it's good for us, because that way we won't, we'll not be a know-it-all. We'll be learning as we go along. All of us need to learn. It doesn't make any difference. You remember Paul was about ready to be offered. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, now, Timothy, I want you to bring me the books and the parchments and bring all those, that study equipment I had down there because he says, I'm going to be a student till the day I die. He says, bring that in the cloak. He was cold. He says, bring the cloak that I left. But he says, I'm now ready to depart. But he says, bring these things. And he says, come before winter or you won't be able to get here. So that, we need to get there before it's too late. All right, now let's look at something else. I want you to need, notice verse 11. Now, I'm going to keep you about a couple of minutes extra. It's not time yet, though. I'm getting through pretty good. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This is Now, look at, back at verse 9. It says, we do not cease to pray for you. And this is still a part of that prayer. That you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Someone would think, well, all might according to his glorious power. What am I going to do if I'm strengthened with all the might of God? Now, let me give you something here. They say, well, I'm going to go out and I can lay my hands on people and they'll jump up from the, their sick beds. I'll go to the hospital and I'll heal the sick. I'll go out here and I'll work miracles. That's not what he's talking about. The same power of God that it took to raise Christ from the dead. Look at this verse now. Look at it. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto, miracle workings? No. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Have you ever seen some little old lady over here that's just suffering in body and soul, that's living on social security, that has very little to live on, that's struggling in every avenue of life to try to get along and still joyful and patient and all of that? That's the mighty, almighty power of God that gives her that. See what I'm talking about? Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joy. And when you see a person like that, you're seeing God's power at work. People want to see it in others. They want to see some preacher get up here and perform some great miracle, you know, and say, some fella be, you know, healed or something. They want to see a guy lay his hand on somebody and they jump up and they run off, you know, and they're supposed to have been healed. Maybe they were and maybe they weren't. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, start disputing that. I'm going to say that right here is a verse that shows you some of the power of God at work that people don't even realize. How could you and I endure those things without the power, almighty power of God undergirding us in such situations? See what it says? Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Now then, I'm going to get down to the praise of our message, verses 12 through 14. The praise. <clears throat> Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks unto the Father. In other words, our praise is to the Father. And our praise is, is offered to Him because He has qualified us, He's empowered us, He's made us worthy, uh, made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. 
we're not, when it says made us meet, that means that he's counted us as worthy of such inheritance. We do not deserve such inheritance, but he's counted us as being worthy of it. He's looked upon us as if we're worthy of it because he's looked upon Christ's worthiness. He's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Now in verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, he's delivered us. He's changed us from the kingdom of, and power of Satan, the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love. And it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In summing it up and looking at this, these two verses, I want you to notice. He's called us out of darkness. He's rescued us from Satan. He's settled us in his kingdom. He's redeemed us by the blood of Christ, and thus he's forgiven us of all trespasses again. Get those things again. He's called us. He's rescued us. He's settled us. He's redeemed us, and he's forgiven us. And this is our praise. What more praise could you want? God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. He's called us out of the uh, kingdom of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's rescued us from that power. He has settled us in that kingdom, and we know where we stand. We sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then he has redeemed us by Christ's blood, and that's the only way any soul will ever enter glory, and forgiveness of all trespasses against us. All of our sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you and I had one sin that we had to pay for, it would condemn us to God would condemn us with his wrath and judgment. But we don't have to pay for one because Christ paid it all. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You say, well, preacher, what about my sins I commit now? Well, you'd still go to hell for them if Christ hadn't put them under his blood. But as because he has, the penalty of sin has been removed and he deals with you now as like a disobedient child that needs a chastening and a correction. And that's the reason you, you're not judged more severely, because you're a child of God, and he deals with you in a different way. So we thank God that as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So I think we've given you in this passage of Scripture, first of all, the privileges of the saints, our position and our uh, portion, our practice, our prayer, and our praise. And so let's stand together for a word of prayer. Thank you.